Yes, Lord, we stand in awe of your love. It's marvelous and wonderful. We confess, Lord, sometimes we cease to be amazed by grace and we don't want that to happen to us. So, Lord, when we sing songs like a wretch like me, we, something in us recoils against that and we, we want to say, well, I really wasn't that bad. I really didn't need that much help. But it turns out, Lord, that when we see ourselves in the clear light of your love and your holiness, we know how much we need your grace, how much we need your mercy, that all of us are sinners in need of mercy. And we thank you, Lord, that you have made that mercy available to us at the cross. So yes, Lord, we sing of your love and your grace and we confess in song and in prayer now, Lord, we are broken people. And so we're thankful for the resurrection because we don't want to think about where we would be apart from the restoring power of your grace and your love. And I pray, Lord, before we leave here this morning, that we'll have a clear understanding of this. If nothing else, Lord, that your love is enough for us and that you want to restore us completely. And we pray that we'll receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Aren't you grateful? For the resurrection, you say, well, that was two weeks ago, preacher. Well, no, it turns out the resurrection's every day. Uh, it's the Easter every day because Christ is risen and Christ is risen indeed. And the early church sort of stretched it out for about seven weeks. They call it Easter tide. And so this is the third Sunday of Easter if you're on that calendar. And whether or not you knew it, you're on that calendar. It's the third Sunday of Easter. And uh, the good news is resurrection is reality. So some years ago, a, a philosopher named Auguste Comte decided he was going to start his own religion. How would you do that? Well, he said, well, it's not going to have any mysticism, not going to have any miracles, not going to have any forgiveness, none of that kind of stuff. And he told a friend of his about it. He said, I'm just going to call it positivism. I'm going to have a new religion, and it will eclipse Christianity. People will not even remember what Christianity was. Everybody will be a positivist. And his friend, who cared very deeply about him, Thomas Carlyle, a Scottish essayist, said to him, very good. So now all you're going to need to do is speak as never a man spoke, live as never a man lived, be crucified, rise again on the third day, and stay alive, and convince people in the world to believe that you're still alive. Then, and only then, will your religion have a chance to succeed. So I don't know many positivists today, but I know a lot of people who are followers of Jesus Christ, and all of that because of the power of the resurrection. What we've been trying to think about as we're concluding our series, Called to Christ, is what difference does it really make that Jesus Christ arose from the dead? We can talk about an empty tomb. Nobody's ever found the body of Jesus, and we could talk about the tomb being empty, but I wonder what it means that Jesus Christ arose from the dead and how that affects you and me. And I was just reminded as I studied Peter one more time this week that nobody needed the resurrection more than Peter. 
because he was the one who had denied Jesus three times. And we left off last week. I think it sparked a bit of a Facebook conversation this week. And we left off last week with Jesus asking him, not once, not twice, but three times while they were standing by the fire, giving him a chance to affirm his connection with Jesus. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus looks at this failure, this person who has made a mistake and says to him, in essence, your failure was not fatal. And I need you to take care of my sheep because if you really love me, one of the ways you show your love is by taking care of my people. And Peter knew what it was like. I read this morning at the end of Psalm 119, verse 176. Who knew there were 176 verses in one psalm? But at the end of that, he says, I was a sheep that went astray. And you came searching for me. Isn't that Peter's story? Isn't that your story? Would you open your Bibles with me? John chapter 21, verses 18 to 25. John chapter 21, verses 18 to 25. We're going to think together about finishing strong. Let's stand together in reverence for our God who speaks to us in his word. Next week, we start thinking about being called to community. We're going all the way back to Genesis And we're going to think together about how God wants us to live in community with one another. I can't wait to share this next uh, step of this with you, making disciples, now making relationships next week, and then making a difference. So John chapter 21, verse 18, right after Jesus said, feed my sheep, very truly I tell you, you know what that is in Greek? Amen, amen. I say to you, that's what that is. Amen, I'm, amen, I say to you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, I want him to remain alive until I return. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Yeah, Peter needed the resurrection because he had failed Jesus. And I love that after Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? And then says, feed my sheep. I love that at the end of that, the conversation continues. And we can imagine that Peter and Jesus begin to walk together because that's what being a Christian is like. It's about walking with Jesus. And he's walking along with Jesus and Jesus says to him, so 
here's the thing, I need you to follow me. Those are the first words that Jesus ever spoke to him. We know from the other gospels, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. And now he's been fishing again and Jesus says, so just follow me. That's what I want you to do. But as he's walking with Jesus and Jesus tells him, and by the way, you're going to die the same way that I died. In in essence, he says, you're going to be crucified and you're going to glorify me with the same kind of death that I died. And as they walk along, Peter can't help but notice in his peripheral vision, John is there because John is always there because John is always following Jesus, which is what discipleship is about. But, but he looks out of the corner of his eye and he sees John there and he just heard Jesus say, you're going to die the way that I died. And he just, in competition, because he's been in competition with John for the last three years to see who would be the greatest disciple, he says, and what about him? And I love the Greek on this. I love Jesus' answer in Greek. Let me just sort of translate it for you in our vernacular. He says, but what about him? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus looks at him and in Greek it says, None ya. None of your business. Not for you to know. Don't focus on him. And then Jesus again says, what, what if I let him live? And then the rumor started, because John apparently lived older than the other disciples. So the rumor went around, oh, Jesus was saying he's, he's going to be like Enoch. Uh, he, he's going to be like Elijah. He's never going to die. But the But the the apostle himself says, but he didn't say that. What he said was, don't focus on him. Focus on me. You must follow me. And what's interesting is, in their own ways... God used both Peter and John powerfully. So Peter does die. He is, we know from tradition, crucified upside down because he doesn't feel worthy to be crucified right side up like his Savior. That's their tradition. It's not in the Bible, but that's the commonly understood what happened to Peter. John, on the other hand, becomes a pastor in Ephesus. He writes five books of our New Testament. He ends up on the island of Patmos Uh, writes down our book of Revelation and lives longer, is older. I think we've got a a portrait, one painter's uh, rendition of Peter and John running to the tomb together. And that's kind of the story. So Peter would be the one with the grizzled beard, you know, the James Harden kind of disciple. And then John, who we think maybe was younger and most of the pictures he doesn't have a beard and they're running to the tomb. They've been in competition. And here's the thing. One of the things that might distract you and me from finishing what God wants us to do is if we get focused on other people. Remember I've said to you before, uh, Andy Stanley says, you don't want to be rich, you want to be rich-er. Not smart, but smart Er, it's important that you're better than other people in worship planning this week, which is one of my favorite hours of the week. We're just sitting there talking this week, and somebody said, yeah, well, Stanley got that from C.S. Lewis, because C.S. Lewis says about this that, you know, we're not really happy with what we have. What we're really happy with is if we have more than the next person. It's the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. And maybe you can think of somebody, maybe it's in your family, maybe it's another believer, but somebody that if you can't beat them, you can't be happy. I think that's where Peter was when he looks back at John. Like, okay, I'll follow you, but I want to know what's going to happen to him. While we're talking, can you just tell me? And Jesus says, so don't worry about that. And here's what God is teaching me, and maybe it'll be helpful to you as well. When God is working in the lives of other people and blessing them, here's the thing. If you and I 
will finally find and fulfill Christ's calling in our lives. We will not fear, but we will find deep joy in what he does in the lives of other people. Does that make sense? Because I've seen this in generations of Christians. I see it perpetuated with parents who want their kids to excel other kids, uh, other parents' kids, who, grandparents who want their grandkids to be better than other people's grandkids. And if you think the church is not infected with this, think again. But what if you and I could really focus on Christ and follow him and finish strong? Wouldn't we then, in the name of the kingdom, be able to say, and thank you, God, for the way you're blessing this person's life and blessing that person's child and that person's grandchild. Thank you, God, that you, in the name of the kingdom, are doing great things in the lives of all your people. And I get to be a part of it, but it turns out I'm not in charge. And I'm not the focus of it. Jesus is. And we're all following him. Can you imagine how liberating that would be? You know why we compete with each other? You know why Peter says what about him? Because somehow he mistakenly thinks, and maybe we do too, that God's love is a zero sum. That God's just got a limited amount of love. And if he blesses you a lot, then he can't bless me a lot. If he blesses me a lot, he can't bless you a lot. Except God's love is infinite. He never runs out of love. So he can bless you and bless me and bless us. And at the end of the day, he doesn't have any less love or any less blessing than he had at the start of the day because he's infinite. And this is the way he loves. So this is good news for people like us. It means that Christ's calling in our lives, our calling to follow Christ greatly simplifies and clarifies life for people like us. It makes life simpler, not more complex. You say, if I follow Jesus, that make my life too crazy. No, no. It would clarify. You say, it would make my life too complex. No, it would simplify your life. Do you believe that? That God's calling works that way in our lives. So Jesus just uses very simple words to describe discipleship. He says, follow me. That's the hallmark of, of a disciple. So sometimes when I talk about being a disciple and how we know whether or not somebody's a disciple, I'll use the expression transformation or Christ-likeness. But sometimes when I do that, I may skip over a very important part, and that is the only way anybody is ever transformed or becomes more like Christ is actually living a life in union with Christ. So John tells us that back in chapter 15, verse 5, when Jesus says, so I'm the vine and you're the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. That's John 15, 5. And so Jesus says, it's in union, in communion, in living life with me that all of your fruitfulness is found. It really doesn't matter what your career is at one level. Whatever you do for a living, this is what you do for a life. You follow Jesus Christ, you walk with him, and as you walk with him, he is transforming you and conforming you to his image. So in a new book I read this week, Jim Dennison put me onto it, but Greg McEwen's book, Greg McEwen talks about essentialism, what really matters in life, and he quotes Anna Pavlova, and this is what she says. Anna Pavlova says, 
to follow without halt one aim. There's the secret to success. Maybe you've seen that movie City Slickers, you know, and, and uh, Jack Palance says there's one thing. You've got to find that one thing. That's the secret to success. Well, I would take Pavlova's quote and say to, to follow without halting one person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And if I follow him, that will lead me to the kind of success that really really matters. And what happens when we follow him? Well, we stay with him all the way to the finish, like Elisha, who won't let Elijah get away from him. And Elijah says, you don't really have to stay with me. Elijah says, I'm not going anywhere without you. I'm staying right close to you. What happens is if we stay close to Christ, then and only then can we be sure that we will finish strong. So what he says to him is, so when you were young, you kind of did what you wanted to do. But when you get older, they're going to they're gonna dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And John kind of gives us an aside here and says he was telling him how he was going to die. Well, here's what we know about that. That the word glorify, the kind of death that glorifies, often in the Gospel of John, literally, is just sort of crucify. So Jesus says, now the hour of my glorification has come. What does he mean? The time that I'm going to be crucified, yes, and raised again and exalted, but first crucified. And so Jesus says in in John chapter 12, verse 26, if you love your life, you lose it. But if you hate your life for my sake, you gain it. You can't You can't sort of hoard life like manna. You can't store it up. It it doesn't work that way. But what you can do is give your life away for the sake of the kingdom. And when you do that, then God says, then I will do great things in you. So a friend of mine and I have both seen this movie called Silence. Have you seen it? It's a long movie. Um, I've seen two movies recently. I've seen Silence and La La Land. Turns out they're very different. Very, very different kinds of movies, you know. Because La La Land has that picture of everybody, you know. I looked at Melanie about five minutes in and said, like, this is a musical? She's like, yeah, it's a musical. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. People are dancing on cars. I got it. I got it. Silence is not like that. Silence is Shusaku Endo's story of missionaries who go over to Japan uh, in the 16th or 17th century and they are persecuted. And what happens is the government at that time, which is, is not very friendly to Christianity, persecutes them and tortures them until they step on a plaque that is the face of Jesus. Are you with me? And these priests are faced with this and there's a, there's a guy in the movie whose name is Kichijiro, and I can't get Kichijiro out of my head because Kichijiro is the Judas character who sells out the priests so that they get tortured. And he does it for 300 pieces, not 30 pieces of silver like Judas, but 300 pieces of silver. But what's interesting about him is, unlike Judas, he won't go away. So he sells out the priest, and eventually... The priest himself is faced with whether he will step on the plaque and he becomes known as the, uh, the uh, apostate Paul. But what's interesting is Kichijiro, he's annoying in the movie because he keeps coming back saying, I know I betrayed you, Father, but will you forgive me? And in a way, he's kind of a Peter uh, in that part of the story, like, like the Apostle Peter, because uh, he is willing to step on the plaque, but then he knows he's done wrong. So the thing is, at that point, Andrew Garfield is no longer a priest because he's denied Christianity, but Kichijiro keeps coming back and saying, you're the only priest left. Will you forgive me? 
And I saw in that story such a picture of Simon Peter who keeps who keeps coming back, who keeps coming back. Look, he'll make more mistakes. If you read the book of Galatians, he makes more mistakes after that. He's making a mistake by focusing right now on John instead of on Jesus. But Jesus just keeps forgiving him and loving him and restoring him and fulfilling his purpose for him. And I think there's great hope in that, that to follow Jesus is to say, I want to finish strong. And even that priest, I don't want to ruin this movie for you, But even that priest who supposedly has denied Jesus, there are signs late in the movie that maybe he has returned to Jesus. And I wonder if that's where you and I are today, where we could say, you know, I walked away from Jesus a long time ago, and I'm not even sure he would take me back. And the story of Peter says, oh, but he will. And to fall in love with him is to follow him. And to stay in love with him is to finish strong. I remember John Piper, the year I came here, back in 1998, I heard him preach his sermon. I remember a sermon from 19 years ago. And he talked about these people who, uh, who, who, uh, left their, their business, retired. The man was 59, the lady was 51, and they decided to buy a 30-foot boat, and they just played softball and collected seashells. It was in Reader's Digest that year, in February of 1998. Uh, they, that's what they did for a life, and they just went around collecting seashells, and then he contrasted them with two ladies who retired from their business and said, we're going to be missionaries, and they went to another country and, and tragically lost their lives there. And then this is what John Piper said. How are you going to spend the rest of your life? Collecting seashells? Or are you going to stay faithful to the gospel for the rest of your life? And the gospel is not the gospel of American success. So if I work hard enough, then I can retire and I never have to do anything else. But rather, I will pour my life into the gospel for the rest of my life. And he ended that sermon with this simple statement, don't waste your life. Now, Jesus is saying two things to Peter, which I think are pretty cool. First one is, you're going to grow old when you grow older. So in other words, he said, what if somebody told you, you're, you're going to live into your old age? I mean, we don't have any guarantee of that, but if somebody told you that, wouldn't that kind of be good news? I'm going to live. Now, what is old? You know, it's different for different people, right? So when I was younger, I thought 30 was old. Some of you are right there, right? You think 30 is old. That is old. Or 40. Or As I grow older, I think um, the number is moving upward, Right. So I read this week about a lady in Jamaica. She's the oldest person in the world. She has a son who's 97. Are you with me? And she's 117. Her name is Violet Brown. 117 years old, got a 97-year-old son. They ask her, how did you live? Everyone wants to know, how did you live that long? I don't know how, but how old Peter was when he died, but Jesus said, when you get older, they're going to take you and they're going to crucify you. But this is how you're going to glorify. So the good news is you're going to live a long time. So what would you do if you lived a long time? Wouldn't you serve the Lord? And then the second thing, you're going to glorify me by your death. So can I just ask you, when you die, with what death will you glorify God? What will be the story of your life? They collected lots of seashells. Or they finished strong in the gospel. How do we finish strong? Well, we, we got to keep our focus, right? So the focus can't be on John. And so he's looking at John and Jesus says, right here, right here, focus on this. Because life, life is, is complex. I was reading, again, Greg McEwen's book on essentialism this week. And he says, to those who are non-essentialists, everything seems essential. So we're always saying yes. So we fill up our calendars and our lives with things so that we don't have time to do what's really important. But he says, essentialism is not about how to get more things done. I know that you've heard that's what life's about. That's not what life's about. Life's about getting the right things done 
for the right reasons at the right times. And for us, that is all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. So we follow him. And as C.T. Studd uh, put it in in a poem years ago, this great servant of God said, Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep, faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life, only one life, and it will soon be passed, and only what is done for Christ will last. And Jesus is saying, you can't keep your eyes on me if you're watching what I'm doing in John's life. And the good news is, when you and I really accept the calling to Christ, not only does it clarify life, but it empowers us to celebrate what God is doing in the lives of other people. So just think about Peter and John. You know, they're there from the beginning of the disciples. John is the one who walks with Jesus and says, where do you stay? And the word Jesus uses is the same word I used earlier, if you remain in me and my word remains in you. What Jesus says to Peter about John is, if I choose for him to remain, same word, to abide, what difference is that to you? I've got a plan for his life, but I've got a plan for your life. And here's the thing. Jealousy runs deep in our souls. It goes all the way back to Cain and Abel, just to show you. It goes all the way back to the beginning of time. You see it in that story. You see it in Jacob and Esau. You see it in Saul and David. You see it in Peter and John, this sort of competition. That's kind of the way we're wired. I read a statistic this week that said 45% of American adults say that they have such a strong rivalry with their siblings that they no longer stay in contact with them. Now think about that. Like nearly half of people got a problem with their siblings. How does that happen? Well, you you got this fostered rivalry and this competition and we've got to, and by the way, uh, just so you know, so preachers are not immune to this. And I remember um, when I went to our last church to New Hope that one of the members came to me and he said, so listen, you're the pastor here, right? And there were like five or six other pastors on staff and he said, you don't have to keep them. Like, if you want to bring in your own people, just tell them to go and you can bring in your own people. And I said, whoa, 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 hold on just a minute. So you think my calling to New Hope nullifies their calling to New Hope? God called them here, but now he's called me here so I don't have to work with them? Yeah, I don't think that's the way that it works. In fact, what I think is that God's calling of my life and God's calling of your life were meant to converge in a confluence that makes a difference for the kingdom. And so I don't have to do well for you to do badly. You don't have to do badly for me to do well. I mean, it doesn't work that way because God's love is infinite, right? So he's working in ways that empower us. So there's a famous quote, Dwight L. Moody, before he began his ministry, was talking with a preacher and the preacher said to him, the world has yet to see what God will do in and through the person whose life is fully committed to him. And Dwight L. Moody says at that moment, he said, I will be that person. I'm going to be the person who's fully committed to Christ. Now, the rest of the story, the man who told him that, who told Dwight O'Moody that was Henry Varley. He was also a preacher evangelist. He's pastoring a church, and there's a new church and a new pastor in the area, and the church is doing really well, and he's kind of angry about it, and it bothers him. And later, he confessed about that jealousy. He said, I will never forget the sense of guilt and sin that possessed me over that business. I was miserable. By the way, if you're jealous of other people, it will make you miserable. Unless, and I was practically saying to the Lord, unless the prosperity of your church and people comes in this neighborhood through me, Success had better not come. Was I really showing inability to rejoice in another worker's service? 
So he came to the place where he realized, I can't, I can't worry about them. This is an amazing thing. I see God doing some amazing things in the city of Houston, some new churches, God's blessing. Great that I've been podcasting some of those preachers and celebrating the gifts that God has given them. And I pray for them that God will bless them. I have a friend who's pastor of a much larger church in the city. He just called me this week and said, what if we partner on this together? Um, What if we work together on this? And it was just his way of saying, we're in this together and we're serving the Lord together and we're not in competition with each other. And just think about, you know who it is. Who is that person? If they do well, you have a bad day. You feel bad if they do good. Who is that person? For Peter, that person was John. And I would ask you to confess that to the Lord, to come clean with that. Why? Because in a way, it will set you free. You'll be liberated from that jealousy and that envy that says, I've got to do better than that person or my life will not be complete. It may be one of your family members. It may be somebody, a coworker. It may be a neighbor. But in some way, the more you focus on them, I can guarantee you, the less you're focused on Jesus Christ. And the only way we're ever successful is by focusing on him. Henry Blackaby in a devotional that that Carlos put me on to this week, Henry Blackaby said, you know, other people and what they do will affect your life, but no one can stop what God wants to do in and through you. And when we realize that we have been called to Jesus Christ, not called to be better than or worse than anybody else, but called to Jesus Christ, what that does is it enables us to celebrate the goodness of God manifested in the lives of others. Again, I hear it in um, John Claypool's story about his friend Bob Benson. Bob Benson had a son named Michael. Michael uh, auditioned for the school play. He wanted the leading role. He did his best. He didn't get it. You know, kind of like the beginning of La La Land. He didn't get the, the leading role. But he did get a couple of lines in the play. And this is what Bob Benson said about his son Michael. He got ready. He prepared himself. He said his lines well, not too soon, not too late, not too loud, not too soft. He said his lines and he said them well. And then Bob Benson said, and God in the great drama of the ages, the redemption of his world, has given me a couple of lines. It turns out I'm not the star of the story, Bob Benson said. Neither are you, neither am I. We're not the star of the story. But there are things that you and only you can do. Think about watching the orchestra and the person who plays that big sheet of metal. They see, that's like the one thing in the orchestra I think I could do, right? I was listening to Alistair Begg talk about this. You know, I could just hit that one big sheet, but you'd have to hit it at the right time in the right way. And it turns out that guy can do a lot of other things as well. But maybe I could do that one thing well. But this is what I know for sure. God made you, and he made you the way you are, and he gave you something that you and only you can do. And at the end of our lives, what we hope is that in the great drama of the ages, that the Lord will be able to say about us, he, she, said their lines and said them well, not too late, not too soon, not too loud, not too soft. She said her lines, and she said them well. He said his lines, and he said them well. And this is what I know. If that is true of our lives, at the end, it will also be said by the Heavenly Father to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for the chance to speak a word for you today. I don't take for granted the privilege of being pastor of this church and loving this group of people. Thank you, Lord, for letting me feed your sheep today. Even though I too am a broken vessel and I need your grace every minute of every day, thank you, Lord, for this privilege. And for broken people like us in a world where people make bad choices, I thank you that there is grace and there is forgiveness and there is redemption and restoration. And I pray that somebody in this room would find that right now and believe in Jesus and his grace and find forgiveness. And I ask that believing in the name of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.